What can the lives of the ancient Greeks teach us about how to live well? Welcome, my mere mortalites, to another round of the Mere Mortals book reviews. My name is Kyron, host of the Mere Mortals podcast, but also this one where I dive deeper into the books that I'm reading to get the juicy information, perhaps some quotes which could help enlighten you, to look at some themes perhaps that might not occur to you in your readings, and to find out how to live better. And that's exactly what we have today. It's The Age of Alexander by Plutarch. So this book was published in 1973, and it's actually created around a separate work of Plutarch's. It's about 430 pages in length, and it took me probably about 10 hours to get through in total. And in particular, it's a selection of nine Greek lives from Plutarch's, one of Plutarch's main works called Parallel Lives, which actually had 26, I believe, in it, and perhaps 52 if you include the, the lost version, which never made it to the present day. So the people in this one, and uh, apologies for my mispronunciation of the Greek names, Agesilas, Pelopidas, Dion, Timoleon, Demosthenes, Phocion, Alexander, Demetrius, and Pyrrhus. And in particular, the book is derived from the age of Alexander, this being Alexander the Great. So the people in this have various professions and come from various locations, all within ancient Greece. So we have orators, generals, leaders, kings, tyrants, uh, amongst, I suppose, other things that they do. And they all come from various locations. So there's some from Sparta, from Athena or Athens, from Macedonia, from Thebes. And they also travel to various locations kind of in the Italy, Greek islands, um, Syria, Cyprus. You know, there's, it's all centered around that section of the world. And most of them lived in the time period of around 500 to 300 BC. And the book itself is ordered in terms of the people who were the oldest and then coming up to the, the, the newest, I guess. It's primarily focused upon their achievements. So we really get a look at how they, what, what they're renowned for, what battles they won, uh, the good standing that they had with other people, perhaps some interesting one-off moments from their lives. And it's really a mix of good and bad. So we do have people who you could say had upstanding moral character and who were well-liked well and, and well-respected. And then others who are perhaps a bit more on the tyrant end of the, of the I, I suppose, spectrum where they were perhaps a bit more bloodthirsty or power, loved power or behaved in ways which would break cultural norms and things like this. And this is all supported with quotes, with statistics from battles, from actual moments from battles, firsthand accounts from life moments, and I guess just from their general actions and behaviors. Now, who was Plutarch? Plutarch was born in AD 46 and died in AD 119. And he was I suppose an essay and a, a essayist, a biographist, and not particularly a historian. And he notes this himself. The work he he says is not you know based on pure pure fact. And we'll see this a little bit later with some of the <laughs> creeping in of hearsay and hard to believe things. But he did have a whole lot of sources to which he could derive from, and it was obvious that he spent a long long time getting all of these sources, compiling them, you know, sifting what was utter trash and what was perhaps more of a gem and this is a, a particular output of this so uh, this as i mentioned is the penguin classics version was translated by ian scott kelvett and I, I think there's another version of this which actually has 11 lives so just a, a little note for you there 
let's get on to the first theme. And the first is politics, the reality of a barbaric world. So the main thing you're going to take out of this was, boy, were they a warring warring people, a warlike time. And in fact, I'd say the environment, the environment they were in kind of necessitated a lot of battles and a lot of people being, I guess, angry with each other. So in this time, this was kind of ancient Greece where it was contri- composed of, I suppose, a lot of independent small states and small cities. So think of Athens, think of Sparta, and then all of these like little outlying towns and municipalities and things like this, all of which would have their own way of, of ruling. So it was kind of composed of many rulers, not particularly kings, although there were kings as well. But, you know, this was definitely the time of, I suppose, democracy, you know, everyone with an equal vote, although, you know, the the vote was restricted to kind of powerful people, any, you know, landowners, those sorts of things. So um, we did see that there was this constant warring and peacing as well. So each city would tend to have its own army or it could have an army that they could compose from their military, from their population very rapidly. There would be things such as... uh, people moving in other armies they would kind of take over the city whether through peaceful or forceful means and they would either raise it to the ground or they'd leave their a garrison in the city which is kind of like being occupied uh, think of like modern day united states leaving military bases all over the world that sort of deal now the i guess the question was it's not really a question it really did seem like politics was necessary and almost a smart choice as well i'm putting in my own little personal opinion in here i hate politics and i quite distrustful of politicians but in this time it really did seem a dog eat dog world but of limited dogs there there just wasn't that many people around so it kind of did seem like if if you were going to get anywhere it, you couldn't do it through merit alone it did seem to require some sort of politicking making friends with these people, but also, you know, keeping an eye on them because they might betray you if this happens over here. And, you know, I will make you indebted to me by giving you favors of, you know, gold or talents was the, um, I guess, the one of the, the ways they talked about their currency, a talent of, of something. And you could see this with just, I suppose, some of the numbers that were talked about in the book where, there, in the terms of amount of voters in, in Athens, there was about five to 15,000, depending on what sort of democracy that they had in the time and if they had um, full autonomy or not. So you could kind of see how, oh, yeah, you know, someone could make friends with a thousand people and make you know, semi good friends with, with quite a lot of them. And then that would be enough to, to really get you to the top and be able to influence decisions of how the battlements should be constructed, what sort of uh, treasuries they should use, where should the treasuries and the public treasuries and funds goes and and things like that. Uh, We also just see, I suppose, on the opposite side of this, where what happens when the politics goes wrong. And so when Alexander was kind of racing through Greece and and taking over everywhere, uh, right at the kind of start of his reign, uh, he was pissed off at the Thebans and uh, they or they were pissed off at him. Whatever happens, he, he rocked up at their gates, absolutely raised their, gra- raised their city to the ground. And of the, it, it just said the 6,000 6, of them died and then the rest of them, tw- about 20,000 of them were sold into slavery. Yeesh. 
And so the battles and the numbers talked about in terms of people and, and armies and things like, like that, it was usually around that range of kind of low thousands getting up into maybe the hundreds, 150,000, I think max was the, the number that I saw of just in terms of general armies, which, you know, to be fair, is, is pretty large and especially large considering the world population at that time. Now, what results, I guess, from all of this politicking and politicians? Well, we can see some rather nasty stuff. So I'll dive into a couple of the lives here. Demosthenes was an orator and he seemed to have a, a just a general disposition towards being a bit slimy without any real skin in the game. And so he was always advocating for war, advocating that they do this and do that without really, you know, putting into practice any of these things. There was no real outcome for him, whether they won or lost, um, because he could just turn around and blame someone else sort of deal. Uh, we see with Demetrius, so I'll, I'll jump here onto page 382. And so for this one, we're, we're looking at him kind of towards the end of his life. And uh, this is what, what comes up. In this way, he had brought many troubles both on himself and on others by using weapons and fleets and armies to chase after the happiness he had now unexpectedly discovered in idleness, leisure and relaxation. And in fact, for all these wretched kings, after all the risks they run and the wars they fight, what other goal is there than this? Truly, these men are both wicked and stupid, not merely because they strive after luxury and pleasure rather than virtue and honor, but because they do not even know how to enjoy the real thing in either case. So in this particular section, we see how he was basically just warring all over the place. He would try and take over this place. If that didn't work, he'd go over this place. Um, Pyrrhus was actually probably even worse than him. He was going, he would literally just war, 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 war. Oh, I'm going to go over to here. Oh, I'm not, he would not even be finished one. And then he would go and find another one to fight him. And you can kind of get the, the feeling after reading enough of these lives where it's like, damn, their the politicking just doesn't seem to really result in anything good, I suppose. It's just, it's it's the reality of the time for sure, but there was people who would definitely take it too far. And I, I do have another thought on this, but I'll, I'll jump to, to Pyrrhus because I mentioned him. And so on page 411, uh, we see him where... <laughs> Um, accordingly, since many of the ships of his fleet were undermanned, he began to conscript rowers. However, he set about this in a thoroughly autocratic fashion. He made no attempt to treat the Greek cities with tact or consideration, but angrily resorted to force and punishments. He had not acted in this fashion at first. Indeed, he had gone out of his way to win friends by the courtesy of his manner, by his readiness to trust everybody, and by his anxiety to do no harm. Now, however, he ceased to behave as a popular leader and became a tyrant. And besides the reputation for severity, which he had, we, which he already possessed, he acquired another for ingratitude and bad faith. And so this is getting on to, I suppose, the, the main point I wanted to get here, which was really did seem that power and politicking and the, the, the com kind of combination of those two amplifies maybe some inherent things that, that uh, some of these leaders had. And so, Sure, they might have some great skills in oration, in terms of valor, in terms of pure physical strength, in terms of ability to manipulate the environment and see opportunities in battle and, and things like this. But there just seemed to be this constant thirst for power, for more. I, I need like um, this is getting into the kind of the growth for growth stake 
Pyrrhus, for example, would just, he, would, he, he didn't know how to be content. He always needed something more and something else. Um, but I suppose there were some gray zones as well. So this will get us onto the next theme, next topic, which is character, which is built on small decisions and it's not really inherent qualities. So funnily enough, this is almost contradicting what I just said, but I'll, I'll get into that in a second. If I had to just pick the first 10 pages of all of these people and, you know, because the book is what, 300 and 400 and something pages long, there's nine, nine of them, you know, they roughly add 60, 70 pages each to, to explain about. If I had to pick the first 10 pages of each of them, I wouldn't necessarily be able to say whether they were going to be a, one of the ones who came out looking good or looking bad. Uh, Tim Leon, for example, who is kind of the, the one who stands out of this as being one of the most virtuous, he murders his brother within the first kind of 10 pages uh, because his brother was becoming a tyrant and destroying the democracy that he lived in. Dion was a, a harsh and not fun person as a youth. And so this is kind of like, well, if you're not really liked as a youth, you, you're probably not going to be well liked and, and not care about people when you're a little bit older. Uh, Phocion, he kind of learned war skills. He was the one who I was looking at as being an orator and I'm like, oh, okay, maybe he's, you know, not taking part in any wars and he's a very peaceful person. Nope, nope. He was, he was well into the warring and he kind of combined this, had this combined ethic of beating, being an orator and a, and a politician, but also a general, um, which a lot of them tend up to, to, to doing as well. And I suppose this is where I think some compounding takes place. So over the course of their lives, we start to see people behaving more and more in a certain way. We see Demosthenes accepting more and more bribes. This is the one without who didn't have any skin in the game and was, was kind of a bit slimy. We, we would just see him continually start to, to take more and, and behave in, in worse ways. Uh, Tim Leon, for example, this is where we start to see, oh, okay, well, what did he do after he, he kind of murdered his brother? He went away from public life for 20, 40 years, something like that, and, and shied away from the power and the spotlight and things like that. He would continually, uh, I suppose, behave in nice ways to his enemies, and I'll, I've uh, got a quote on that coming up soon, where we just see all these mini examples of people where it's like, okay, right at the start, we can't tell, but it, it did seem that there was this compounding taking effect. And I think there was active decisions on, on each one of them as well. They had to actively choose, okay, in this moment, what am I going to do? Am I going to do this thing, which is kind of a little bit dodgy or will I, I'll, I'll just, no, I'm, I'm going to follow my character and virtue and, and whatnot. And so, it did seem that the best life was maybe not the one who was a maximalist and they would never do this sort of thing, but someone who was so very stubborn in certain aspects in terms of not accepting favors or bribes from other people, of not chasing after wealth, looking at uh, Phocion here or Phocion who was basically one of the most renowned orators. This is the kind of general slash um, orator in, in Athens who was poor. He was poor all of his life. And this is where we can kind of start to see, okay, there seems to be a compounding of they, they would ha maybe have some, made a decision at some point of, okay, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to, I, I much like I will talk about the value for value and not accepting advertising on any of my shows. 
I think there's people there who are like, I will not accept money from outsiders or as gifts or anything like that because I think it's corrupting in nature. And so I'm going to jump here um, where it's like, once again, I, th- I think that they probably each one of them had to do some politicking, but it seemed when it was necessary, i.e., you know, I'm never going to surrender that sort of thing. I think some of them would say, okay, you know, if Alexander the Great is outside my city walls, I'm probably going to surrender to him and live to fight another day sort of thing. But, but it, it should hurt them. It should, it should be uh, something that it's like absolute last resort. What else can I do? Okay, I can't do that. Oh, what else can I do? I can't do that. Fine, I'll have to do this one thing which I absolutely hate and they would probably feel guilty about it as well. This is me adding in some, some of my own, I guess, thoughts. But yeah, it, it was interesting seeing that. So uh, I wanted to highlight this section here of, of Tim Leon because uh, he was the, the one who stood out for me as kind of the most ethical of the bunch. And so uh, the context for this is he's just kind of re, recaptured the city of, of Syracuse because he, people were asking him to. He came in, liberated them. They got ingrate, you know, bloody ungrateful and kicked him out and elected some bullshit tyrant who then fucked it up. And so he had to like come back again. And then it was like, okay, well, what do I do with this person who has already backstabbed me like three or four times? Should I let him live? And so Heraclides and Theodetes pleaded with Dion in this way, but his friends urged him not to spare such unprincipled and envious rascals. Instead, he should hand over Heraclides to the soldiers and deliver the state from the habit of pandering to the mob, a disease scarcely less pernicious than tyranny itself. Dion did his best to appease their anger and pointed out that while other generals devoted most of their training to the handling of weapons and the fighting of battles, he had spent a long time in the academy studying how to overcome anger and envy and the spirit of rivalry. To show kindness only to one's friends and benefactors is no proof of having acquired such self-control. The real test is for a man who has been wronged to be able to show compassion and moderation to the evildoers. Besides, he wished to be seen that he excelled Heraclides not so much in power or in statesmanship as in virtue and justice, for these are the qualities in which true superiority resides. After all, fortune can always claim some of the credit for successes in war, even when no other man has a share in them. And if Heraclides had been led had been had been led by envy into base and treacherous conduct that was no reason for dion to sully his virtue by giving way to anger for although taking revenge for a wrong is more justifiable in the eyes of the law than committing the wrong without provocation yet in the nature of things both actions spring from the same weakness what is more although baseness is a deplorable thing in a man yet it is not so savage and intractable a defect that it cannot be overcome by repeated kindness and transformed by a sense of gratitude Dang, there we go. So Tim Leon, we can see there, he, he makes the hard decision. He says, no, I'm not going to hand over and kill this, not even kill personally, but this person who is, or these people who are continually undermining me, going to stab me in the back, are looking for power, are, are, have continually pro- proven to be scoundrels, rascals, bad administrators, bad leaders, yet I'm not going to do the easy thing which is justifiable in many ways, but which would break his kind of inherent sense of, of, of truth, of virtue. And so the funny thing with this is, you know, I'm, I won't get into the debate of whether this is 
inherent, completely inherent, as in you're born with this, or if this is something that you can learn whilst young, and some of these people just had better learning and teachings. I think it's a mix, as, as usual. I, I was talking about the gray area. And another gray area is there's no guarantees as well. So it doesn't really matter, I suppose, I think it does matter if you are virtuous, if you do have good character, but we can see how life doesn't always end great in a great way. I think you have better chances. You have better odds of leaving, leading a better life. But some of these people died in, in some pretty awful ways and they were good people as well. You know, Tim Leon, he had a nice ending. He, he died of old age, surrounded by family and friends. But some of them would... Uh, Alexander the Great, he was kind of in this gray area and he seemed to die by a an illness, perhaps poisoning. It's, it's kind of hard to tell. Uh, one of the guys, Dion, he seemed generally a good person, yet he died by being backstabbed by a, a friend or a subordinate and killed in a room full of his friends, but none of them came to his own protection because they themselves kind of lacked this virtue and, and courage. Uh, and then there were some bad people who lived long lives and sure they might have died you know some of them died gloriously in battle and and so they had a that that kind of spartan or greek type um, ideal of of dying in in battle that's one of the most virtuous ways so yeah it's a it's up in the air i'm throwing it up in the air for you for you at home i personally think that leading character and having character in a good life made some of their lives better and um, but it necessary may, perhaps wouldn't end in you know all good. There was perhaps um, a, a bit of gray areas in terms of you know sometimes maybe you need you do need to do that little bit of politicking, that little bit of underhandedness to make sure that you can live to another day, uh, live live to another day, and be able to promote courage and virtue and all the good things to another day. I don't know. I'll, I'll throw my hands up for that. So I have already introduced some of my own observations and takeaways into this. I'm going to read you just a selection of things I've found from this, which made me go, okay, there's a lot of wacky stuff and and just straight up untruths in here, or at least I believe that. So some of the things that we find is Pyrrhus literally cleaves a dude head to toe in half. He was so strong that he could uh, hit someone on the head with his sword and it would go straight through their body and then come out their ass, I guess. Um, I don't know if that's possible. I don't, I've, I've never heard of that being possible, but uh, uh, that's, that's what happens on page 413. Um, Alexander dies and his, there's kind of this broke, broken up, well, this empire, this huge, massive empire he's created, which now is like up for grabs. And there was kind of warring between the or decision making between the infantry and the cavalry. The cavalry was more from the the upper class, the kings, the 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 lord, the um, royalty. The the peasantry was more in the in the uh, infantry, and they decide no, we want someone who's related to him, and so they suggest a half brother of his who, in their uh, in Plutarch's words, is a mentally retarded and an epileptic um, to take over. That's who you want to take over one of the biggest empires <laughs> ever created. What the hell? Uh, there would be battles where thousands of the en- enemy died, but not a single wound or, or death was recorded on the, on the victorious side. Kind of find, a, find that hard to believe. Uh, there would be people who would absolutely rout their enemy, kill them left, right, and center, but then would show incredible kindness and, and 
um, and respect to their their sons or perhaps their their wives and the other royalty of their family. And then there would be things like uh, the physician. So when Alexander the Great was was kind of looking in a pretty bad way, he had some sort of illness. The physicians didn't want to treat him because if he died, they would be blamed for killing him with their treatment. So there was kind of like a no-win situation. Like they, even if they tried their best and, and he died, they were screwed. And if they tried their best and he lived, well, it was like, well, you just did your damn job, Mr. Physician. <laughs> so... There was definitely a lot of a lot of things where that's where you go, man. That's that's some messed up thinking. That's some messed up ways of behaving, and just the the ways that the the deaths were reported. You know, it wasn't like, oh my god, so many people died. It was like, yeah, so many people died, and then they went on to this next battle, and so many other people died there. So there was definitely um yeah a lot of. Of, of negative things, I guess, happening and, and kind of wacky stuff and untruth. So just keep that in mind as you're reading. Um, my perception as well, I think, might distort this as well because the time, you know, he covered in kind of 200 years, I guess, roughly, maybe 150, something like that, in a relatively short time span. And so maybe there's, I got this impression that there was a lot more warring and it, it just did seem like constant fighting. But you know, that's so destructive that there must have been long periods of peace where that they could, you know, till their farms, where they could grow crops, where they could feed the whole cities, where they could create infrastructure and, and things like that. So, yeah, maybe that perception as well of, of just how barbaric the world was, maybe that would be a little bit off, which also gets me into my last observation was, we're the same. We're the same as those people. We might have the technology. We might think we have better systems in place. But I think ultimately you put them in our time and you put us in, in, in their time and we're going to behave in very, very similar ways. Um, I, doubt, I just do not think that we have evolved that much in the two and a half thousand years roughly since since then. So I, I, what would it be like and, and the, something is, is who do you want to be like? Because we can see these people made decisions and it's not that hard to find parallel decisions in our own lives where we could go, oh, do I want to do some politicking in this job that I have? Do I want to chase after wealth and, and, and money um, in, this, in this job, even though you know, I don't particularly feel it's doing a benefit to humanity? Those are some decisions I've had to, to make in my life. And, and I, I think a book like this can be helpful in, in, just in showing, showcasing these in ancient times. And you can go, oh, you know, I can follow virtuous things nowadays. It's not talked about much. It's not popular. But I think there is still something in the idea, utility in the idea of being, uh, having a virtuous character, of, not, of being stubborn upon certain points and really trying to improve yourself and you could call this self-development if you want they would probably put it in terms of developing virtue or character and i think this is useful and i i think a book like this can kind of help so in summary it's a glimpse into the lives of great men if not necessarily good men so i'd, I'd say it was probably 50 50 with some people right bang in the middle it's somber due to the carnage, but I think it does provide enough to get a feel of, of the individual people and, and what they perhaps were like as a, as a person, what they believed, how they behaved. Uh, I found it surprisingly applicable, to be honest. I, there was quite a few things from this where I went, yep, 
there's current decisions that I could make and the decisions and outcomes that come from this are, are kind of based on my character of, of what I believe as a person, how I behave, those small individual uh, actions and steps that I can take in my everyday life of, do I want to say this to this person? Do I want to pick up that piece of litter on the street and things like that? So it's not hard to pick up some qualities that you perhaps lack, that you perhaps could uh, do better on improving. And so for this, I give The Age of Alexander by Plutarch, a seven and a half out of 10. I think there's quite a lot that can be learnt from the ancient Greeks. And that is it for today, my mere mortalites. Thank you for joining me to this part of the audio. What are your thoughts on Plutarch, on the Age of Alexander, of any of those nine lives that I particularly covered there? Have you read any of them? Do you think that I picked the right people in terms of virtue? You know, this being Timoleon, being Dion, being Phocion, or was perhaps I being a bit too harsh on some of the others? I'd love to know all of these things. The best way to do that is via a Boostergram. So Boostergram is a message that is sent directly within the podcasting app whilst you're listening. So you don't have to get out of it or do anything. The requirements for doing that is to get a little bit of lightning Bitcoin into the app. So I would choose one like Podverse, Fountain, Castomatic, something like that, Breeze. And this is a way where you can help support this show. So this is a value for value podcast. I do all of this free for value upfront. You don't have to do a single thing. And uh, all I do request though is that you provide some value back and it doesn't have to be in a monetary form. You could share this with a friend who enjoys Greek writings. You could tell me about your particular favorite character or virtue or what you got out from this book and you can as i mentioned um, help support the show by streaming and boosting in in any of those new podcast apps.com so with all of that being said i do hope you're having a virtuous day wherever you are in the world Chiron out